Hello then and welcome to uh, the October School 2008 which is conformed to his image. Um, whilst I was preparing this I had thoughts about going in one direction but it became very clear uh, that God had a totally different agenda and throughout the weekend he just took the rudder and steered us into places uh, that we'd never been before. Unfortunately the majority of what he did we couldn't record because uh, it just was um, hitting the high spots. But what I have recorded is the text that, that did actually get spoken out um, but there was an awful lot of uh, extra stuff that came as well. So I hope you enjoy it, I hope it will help you to move on in your walk with God. And during the course of the weekend I played um, two specific CDs of Graham Cook's that you may want to get hold of. One of them was called Awaken and it was recorded at Prayer for the Nations uh, in around about 2003. There are two, it's a two CD set um, and you, if you look on www.prayerforthenation.com uh, you'll probably be able to locate it. That's Rod and Julie Anderson's ministry and we are very grateful for them. The other one was one of Graham's most recent recordings which is Stepping Into Your Truest Identity and it formed the pinnacle really of what the whole weekend had been about which was seeing how we live in two realities. And so you'll find as you listen to this how the two realities work out in our lives and which reality is the real one uh, and how you stand before God which is the superior reality. That is the higher status where you stand before God how you are recognized in the heavenly realms both by God the Father uh, and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and by the enemy. So I hope you enjoy all this and God bless you as you listen. Okay, right. So it's good morning and welcome. Uh, it's the 10th of October I think and this is the Conformities Image School and it's the first session. Um, I've actually had a change of direction already this morning so uh, that's the way it goes, which is absolutely brilliant. While I was preparing this, I was kind of thinking about going one way and um, then the Lord just got hold of it and sort of screwed my piece of paper up and threw it away and we're going in a completely different direction, I'm absolutely delighted to say. I mean, the, the traditional way of looking at conform to his image is the fruit of the spirit and all this and that. This has got nothing to do with that, so you can forget that. <laughs> absolutely got nothing to do with it. What the weekend is about basically is the glory of God and it's about how God sees us and how we live in two realities and we get to choose where we stand so it's about the glory of God our inheritance uh, the first session I think if we get there um, which will probably be this afternoon we'll be living in two realities and the lost glory because we need to know what we lost to find out what we need to get back the second session, whenever that comes around, will be abandonment to Jesus. This is very broadly speaking. And the third session on uh, Sunday will be restoration of the glory. Um, 
the thing is that during the course of the weekend too I'll be playing a lot of Graham Cook's stuff um, because he can say it so much better than I can so there's no point in reinventing the wheel is it so I'll give what God's given me and he'll give what God's given him and between the pair of us you'll get something out of it so what I would ask that you do is actually to um, take what is right for you don't try to take everything in but take that which jumps out at you and work with that because you can't there'll be so you'll get a sensory overload otherwise because you, you really will because um, Graham particularly gives us so much stuff um, that it's just just incredible um, I want to give you some scriptures just throw these out for you when you've got a moment quiet during the weekend that you might want to look at <coughs> um, the first one is Exodus 33 verses 12 to 23 and I'll be opening something up about that in a minute the second one is Luke 2 verses 9 and 14 and then John 1 14 John 2 11 and just sorry, John 1. 14, yeah. 1, 14, 2, 11, 17, 10, and verse 22 and verse 24. And I know that one of us has actually been in John 17, haven't you? Isn't it John 17 you've been in about the glory of God? Sort of in the net. Yeah, this is the one he told you to meditate on, wasn't it? And as this, as this opened up, I felt that, that your questions of why you were having to look at this would probably be answered this weekend, which I thought was really quite interesting because it wasn't where I intended to go. So first of all, John 17:10, Jesus says, All things that are mine are yours, He's talking to the Father, and all things that are yours belong to me, and I am glorified in and through them. They've done me honour. In them my honour is achieved. And then verse 22. Oh, 21 I wanted to do. He's talking again. Um, I'll go back to verse 20. Neither for these alone do I pray, for it's not for their sake only I make this request, but for all those who will ever come to believe in, trusting, cling to, rely on me through their word and teaching, that they may be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us so that the world may believe and be convinced that you've sent me I have given to them the glory and honor which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one and verse 24 father I desire that they also whom you have entrusted to me as your gift to me may be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, your love gift to me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. I just sense that knowing the glory of God that rests upon us will enable us to be what he talks about here, which is one. I sense there is a time coming very quickly uh, where we are going to come into unity in the spirit because we all know who we are mm. and so competition will 
just walk out the door. Ego will just walk out the door. And we will come to a place where we are what Jesus has prayed for in John 17. And we will rise up as the bride of Christ. As Graham says, he's not coming back for an acne-ridden old hag. He's coming back for a glorious bride. Um, so there'll be many people who've been hiding in the wine press and God's going to flush them out because in the days that are coming, he's going to cause us to stand in who we actually are. And that's what we'll be looking at this afternoon. Living in two realities. And when you stood symbolically in those footprints there, you were actually standing in the heavenly place before God the Father, face to face. You said, that's where I want to be. That's where Jesus has put me positionally. And I am going to occupy the place in the Spirit that he has won for me. You might not understand all this right now, but it's going into your spirit. And your spirit will be saying, big tick. Yes. I want that. It's what I was designed for. It's what I was created for. And it will be resonating deeply in your spirit. It will wake you up at night. Because you will get a joy rising in you. You will know who you are. You will no longer be earthbound. You'll begin to become the eagles that you were created to be. Turkeys and eagles, you know. Berry eating turkeys or acorn eating turkeys. You know, we don't speak to the acorn eating turkeys. We only speak to berry eating turkeys. Not having any of that anymore. So, this morning when I was, uh, I just suddenly took a fit into my head to, to think that I would start uh, to uh, look at the glory of God. And I wish I hadn't started really, because I had about two minutes to do it, having done all my work yesterday. <laughs> finally got it down on paper, because it, it's really been quite a struggle to get this together. I mean... It felt so ragged yesterday, as you wouldn't believe, and I just kept saying to the Holy Spirit, I just trust you. I know you'll bring out what you want, and it'll probably be nothing at all that's on my paper in there, so that's all right. Um, but what I want to do now is, uh, and unfortunately if you're listening on CD and you haven't got this tough, I can't do anything about it because of copyright laws, I can't let you hear it. But it's called He Sees You Today. One of the things that I'm really going to be pushing this weekend is you are in Christ. We know about it, we hear about it, but do we understand what it means to be in Him? We stand before the Father, accepted in the Beloved. He has made us acceptable to God by his atoning death and on the cross. We don't have to work or do any more to make ourselves acceptable. So we can break some religious mindsets that say, if I don't do it right, I'm not going to be acceptable. It's total tosh, because all it does is negates Jesus' work on the cross. Once you understand what it means to be in Christ, you can come into all the favour, all the blessing, all the provision, everything that he has placed there for you in him. But it's understanding that it's not on your merit that you get there, it's on his finished work. 
So it's brilliant. All you have to do is accept it and live in it. But the enemy of your soul will want all the time to persuade you that you're not good enough. So that was going to be one of the themes probably of the weekend is to get you to really understand, I just keep hammering it, who you are. Because that is the place where you feel comfortable in your skin. That is the place you feel comfortable with who you are and how God made you. That is where you don't have to keep changing how you look in order to make yourself acceptable to yourself and everybody else. That is where you don't have to put a persona on to make people like you. You don't need to. You're comfortable with your identity. So we'll be talking a lot about identity and who you are. And I think it's that the current and coming move of God is to cause us by some means or other to understand who we are, whose we are, where we stand and what power we have in that place that we stand. Because if we just but understood the power we have with God if we stand before him in that place that we all stood in this morning, we have got, if you like, clout with the Almighty. We're like Esther. We come before the king and he reaches out his scepter and he says, up to half the kingdom. You're the bride. What is it you want? We'll be having a look at that later on in the weekend too. But this is the position that I want you to begin to get a grasp that you actually stand in. So that when you pray for something, you're hearing God's heartbeat because you're standing there face to face. You come and you talk to him and you say, Father, because of who I am and because of what Jesus has done, what do you want to do in this situation? So he tells you. It doesn't half simplify your prayers. Instead of doing, as I say, the old dartboard job where some hit and, uh, and the multiple choice, oh, well, if you couldn't do that, maybe you could do this. And you come away from your prayer time thinking, have I covered every base? But actually, you've not hit the spot because you've not communed with him to find out what his heart is in, the pl in that, that particular situation. So you haven't prayed in line with what he wants to do. And then people say, I'm disappointed with God because he hasn't done what they've asked. But if they go before him and find out what he wants to do, what do you want to do in this? Well, actually, what well, I'd come close, I'll whisper it in your ear. I'd like to do this. Oh, just ask me to do that. Just let's have a look at, at a, an example of what God led me to this morning. Um, when you hear Graham say this, it's much better because, you know, he's a real storyteller, isn't he? But it's our first scripture, Exodus 33, 12 to 23. And, and this is what God just uh, it started to make me laugh with this morning because I could see it so clearly. Exodus 33, 12 to 23, and I'm reading from the Amplified. Oh, I'm going to read from verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. We'll be having a look about this face to face, mouth to mouth, nose to nose, eye to eye. He hasn't changed the way he does things. Moses returned to the camp, but his minister Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the temporary prayer tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. 
yet you said, I know you by name, and you've also found favour in my sight. Now therefore I pray you, if I've found favour in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with you, perceiving and recognising and understanding more strongly and clearly, and that I may find favour in your sight. And Lord, do consider that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to the Lord, If your presence doesn't go with me, don't take me up from here. For by what shall it be known that I and your people have found favour in your sight? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinguished, I and your people, from all other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that you have asked for, for you have found favour, loving kindness and mercy in my sight, and I know you personally and by name. And Moses said, Okay then, I beseech you, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, before you. For I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and so show mercy and loving kindness on whom I will show mercy and loving kindness. But he said, You can't see my face because you'll go a crisp. No, it's not in there, is it? For no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place beside me, and you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I'll take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses was pushing it, because God had put it into his heart to push it. God wanted Moses to see something. So this conversation takes place. You haven't told me who's going to go with me. Well, I'll be there. Don't worry about it. And then God really wants Moses to see him. He's a God who reveals himself. You get the same thing here as you got with Abraham. When Abraham got bold and said, if there's 50 people there, you know, I know you, you won't do it. God puts into your heart what he wants you to ask for or what he wants you to seek after because it is him that initiates everything. So if you're hungry for him, guess who's putting the hunger there because he wants more of you. So you say, oh Lord, I'm sighing for more of you. He says, it's because I'm sighing for more of you. So he gets Moses in this place here where he really wants to, Moses to see who he is. Gets him back to the wall till Moses finally thinks, I'm going to ask this and I'm going to be crisped for it. And he asks him if he'll show him his glory. And the interesting thing is that it's not a show of display of fireworks and brilliance and brightness. It's his goodness. Have you heard Graham on it? God is good. The glory of God is that he is good. The Shekinah glory is something different. That's what used to fill the temple. That is where the priests couldn't minister. They couldn't stand up. It's like we would say, falling out in the spirit. There is also, and I've heard Graham talk about it, where... A cloud comes down and you actually can't see across the room because the glory of God that has to be veiled from our eyes actually comes into the mist. Because whereas people are 
together and they are one in spirit, the glory of God will come automatically. He can't keep away. But if you are in disunity with someone, he, he pushes him away. If you've ever read that book of R.T. Kendall's, um, The Sensitivity of the Spirit, it's called, and he talks about the pigeon and the dove. And he said, most of our churches are full of pigeons because you can clap your hands like mad and a pigeon will not move. It'll just look at you. But you get near a dove, it's off. If there is, if there is strife and division and discord, it attracts the opposite. But where there is unity, and as I said when I started, I, I suspect that this is what is coming, we're coming into. Because it is, it, is, it is good for us to be and to know who we are individually, but when we come together corporately, each one of us rooting for the other. Imagine the power and the strength of that in a corporate situation, where when we all come together we are totally focused on God, we know who we are, I'm not jealous of you Trish or you Jane, I'm just not, because I'm secure in who I am, I know what my position is, before the Father, and I'm encouraging you in yours. I'm going to talk about that because that is what true accountability is. You hear a lot of Tosh talked in the church about accountability. Accountability is when I see who you are in God and I say to you, you can't do that, Trish, because you're such and such before the Father. So it wouldn't be dignified in the position that you hold to go off and do that. That's accountability. It's encouraging that person to become something even greater in the Lord than you are yourself. It's preferring one another. don't see a lot of it in the church at the minute, but I think there's going to be a turnaround because the Spirit of God is, is moving in that direction to change us from one degree of glory to another. The glory of God is the goodness of God. The glory of God is the fact that we are transparent. You know, Paul says, doesn't he, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I always imagine it rather like there's this big pot, you know, and there's all this coming out the top, this light. So people are peering in to find out what it is that's inside the pot that's shining out like that. So can you imagine if we were let loose like that on the world out there? Turn the world upside down because we would be displaying the glory of God by the way that we work. We just have to walk down the supermarket, that's all. And people would be sensing something's going on. They would, You would be drawn like iron filings to a magnet because the, what the world lacks out there is the identity, security. I'm on to my third night's message, I think. Doesn't matter, go there again. Give me something else then. Because they don't know who they are out there. We of all people ought to know who we are, but guess who fights against that tooth and claw? That we might not know who we actually are. That we might not stand before the Lord like that. And he says, up to half the kingdom, what is it you want? It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So what I'll be starting to talk about this afternoon probably is the two realities. We have to understand and live in the place that is real and it isn't here. It's in the spirit that is our real place. That is where we need to be. Like Moses standing there 
he spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. <laughs> that will come out well on the thing. So I think I'll probably stop there um, because what I want to play you now, oh poor you guys on the CD, is The Nature of God by Graham Cook. Right, here we are then, afternoon session and you know what I'm like, I pick up little bits and pieces and while I was looking and studying for um, this weekend I came across this, it's called Chosen Vessel. The master was searching for a vessel to use, before him were many, which one should he choose? Take me, cried the gold one, I'm shiny and bright, I'm of great value and do things just right. My beauty and lustre will outshine the rest, and for someone like you, Master, gold would be best. The Master passed on with no word at all, and looked at a silver urn, narrow and tall. I'll serve you, dear Master, I'll pour out your wine, I'll be on your table whenever you dine. My lines are so graceful, my carvings so true, and silver will always compliment you. Unheeding, the master passed on to the brass, wide-mouthed and shallow and polished like glass. Here, here, cried the vessel, I know I will do. Place me on your table for all men to view. Look at me, called the goblet of crystal so clear. My transparency shows my contents so dear. Though fragile I am, I will serve you with pride, and I'm sure I'll be happy in your house to abide. The master came next to a vessel of wood, polished and carved, it solidly stood. You may no use me, dear master, the wooden bowl said, but I'd rather you use me for fruit than for bread. <laughs> then the master looked down, saw a vessel of clay, empty and broken, it helplessly lay. No hope had the vessel that the master might choose to cleanse and make whole, to fill and to use. Ah, this is the vessel I've been hoping to find. I'll mend it and use it to make it all mine. I need not the vessel with pride in itself, nor one that is narrow to sit on the shelf, nor one that is big-mouthed and shallow and loud, nor one that displays his contents so proud. Not the one that thinks he can do all things just right, but this plain earthly vessel, filled with power and with might. Then gently he lifted the vessel of clay, mended it, cleansed it, and filled it that day. Spoke to it kindly, there's work you must do. Just pour out to others as I pour into you. Brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> no idea. There's one of those little bits that I... Uh, I've got these little treasures, you know. And here's another one. You know, I've said before about the... Um, the disciples of Jesus, Peter and Paul, not Paul, Peter and John and James and all of those, the fishermen, they'd failed the test to be rabbis, otherwise they wouldn't have been fishing. So as far as the, as far as the religious leaders were concerned, they were just useless, they were no good. Uh, but Jesus goes straight to the most unlikely ones, the discarded ones really, and says, follow me. And he was a rabbi, uh, and he was constantly up against the religious leaders. So here's a little story. Follow me, he said. 
You know those days when nothing goes right? I'm a fisherman and a good one. The fish just weren't biting that day. Then this preacher comes along. Let me borrow your boat, he said. Well, I'd nothing better to do, so I did. The number of people who'd come to hear him was amazing. He had to get into the boat so they could all hear him. I don't remember a lot of what he said, to be honest, but it sounded pretty strange to me. Love your enemy. I don't know where he got that from. He finished what he had to say and the crowd started drifting away. Then he turned to me and said, put your nets down here. This from a man who says, love your enemies. Well, I know fish and it was too late in the day. Fish come up early in the morning, not at that time. We did it to humour him, really. But I've never seen anything like it. The nets were bursting. Well, I fell down and said words to the effect, leave me, because I'm a sinner. His reply shocked me. I know, now follow me. What? I know you're a sinner. Now will you stop telling me things I already know and follow me? So I did. Well, you would, wouldn't you? I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Jesus said in Luke 5.32. And here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That was Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15. So I was just encouraging you, really, that... Uh, he doesn't choose us because what we can do, he chooses us because it's his choice. Brilliant, isn't it? Otherwise none of us have had a chance, would we? Mm -hmm. So what I want to um, pop through this afternoon is, and I can find it, um, Living in Two Realities, I touched on it this morning. Um, and the first scripture that we had this morning or one of the first ones was John seventeen twenty four. do you remember Father I would that they may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me and God would say to you this day it's my perception of you that must govern your life I am your inheritance and you are mine my glory is what I want you to experience. You were chosen with all foreknowledge to live a life blameless before me. Accept that you are accepted. Heaven is open. Your response releases my provision. Live in the yes of your God. I created you to fully belong to me. My presence will reveal and provide everything you need. Live in me. It's done, it's done, it's done. I love every connection I have with you. My glory is what I want you to experience. And what I want to stick in your mind is that it's his perception of you that must govern how you live. Not your perception of you, not how other people see you, but how he sees you. Because this is absolutely key to moving into what God's got for you. It's his perception of you that must govern your life. Because he is your inheritance and you are his. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 45 and 40 to 49 says this. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, 
became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterwards the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, earthy, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And John 1, 12 and 13 But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Two realities, earthly, heavenly. We're people of dust and we're people of glory. This is where you will begin to understand what, if you don't know already, what Jesus did on the cross and how positionally has totally altered where you live. So we live in the two realities of dust and glory, the earthly and the heavenly. We were born from beneath by the will of man and born again from above by the will of the Father born of the flesh and born of the spirit. So we live in the tension between those two kingdoms and there's conflict on days when we get the flesh against the spirit conflict. And conflict is not intrinsically wrong, it simply means that something is happening. But it's what we're doing with what is happening within us that is most important. Whatever we align ourselves with will grow within us if we align ourselves with mistrust, suspicion and cynicism, that is what will grow. If we align ourselves with openness, transparency and integrity, and by integrity I mean that what you see on the outside is what is on the inside, and love, that is what will grow in us and the Christ life will be fostered and it show forth in our behaviour will begin to manifest the glory of God because the glory of God is the goodness of God. God is good, as we heard of Graham. God always dismantles that which he didn't build. And in Matthew fifteen thirteen, Jesus says, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. He was speaking to the Pharisees about what comes out of the mouth being what defiles a man, not what goes in. Because it's what comes out of the mouth is coming from the heart. So in our lives he has to set things in order so there's more room for his glory, more room for the life of Christ within us. If we live our lives as Christians with no understanding of the indwelling presence, we've got no internal frame of reference and we'll live just as those around us, in the fallen nature, in the flesh life, everything governed by how we feel and what we think. We don't refer to the Christ within. And this is a ploy of the enemy to keep us in an immature state, unaware of the glory that is ours by inheritance and the internal transformation which the Holy Spirit desires to do in us.
The truth is that there are no longer two lives to be lived, but one, his. His life flowing through us, reaching others for good. We're intended to remain connected to Jesus in such a way that his life constantly flows through us as the sap rises from the roots of a tree as its life and eventually forms the fruit on the branches. His life is meant to flow through and out from us in such a way that no one is safe from a blessing because we are overcoming evil with good. People are not our enemies. We only have one of those. Satan. And that's why before we started I had you draw a circle and include inside it anyone who is currently causing you grief because we have no enemies but one. Romans 12.20 says to us, Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Don't become, don't overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I expect you know what this means about heaping coals of fire. You all know what that's about, do you? In those days, your fire was the most important thing for you because you're out in the desert and you needed your fire to cook your food. So you kept it going all the time. You had your coals that were going. So if your coals went out, you were really in dire straits. So if your neighbour who you weren't getting on so well with, came and said, my fire's gone out, and you gave him some of your fire, you were heaping coals of fire on his head, because he would go away carrying it. So that is what heaping coals of fire on their head means. doesn't mean you're going to burn them up. It means you're actually giving away what is your life to them in order that they might have life. So you're sharing with them your very life source. So that is how you're overcoming evil with good. So currently there is a degree of dismantling going on in the body of Christ, a pulling down of all that the Heavenly Father didn't build. And it's a journey of revelation into the heart of God. It's a profound thing because it's got two elements, pain and excitement. God's taking us back to the beginning, back to the drawing board, as it were, in what he planned. It looks like chaos to us because his order isn't usually ours. We like things in nice tidy boxes and we want action and we want it now. But sometimes we just have to slow down and go back to the basics, back to the roots, to the foundations of our faith to see if what we're building on will take the weight of glory that God wants to release into our lives. And the things that I'm going to talk about are touching the holy as I would call it. And I do do it with a very real sense of trepidation because I'm attempting to understand the purpose of God for my generation and convey it to you and it's no light thing because I'm responsible to him essentially for what comes out of my mouth and how I deliver it. I'm passionate about the Bride of Christ, about her finding her true identity and living as the Beloved in it. I'm passionate 
about the body of Christ becoming everything Jesus died to give them. That's why sometimes I get irritated with you. Because I want you to see something and come into something, even if I have to die trying like Basil Fawlty and Manuel. <laughs> Will you try to understand before one of us dies? I believe that we're currently so below the waterline as to be invisible in this country. We're meant to live incredible, supernatural lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are meant to bring change and power into the ordinary situations of people around us. Unless we understand fully what happened at the cross at Calvary and begin to step into all that Jesus died to win for us, we will sink without trace in that puddle of sludge that I was talking about. There's a place out there in the spirit for every one of us. If a company of people, ordinary people like us, stepped into their true identity, the world would be turned upside down. And over the last few days, I've had a vision of what could happen if every person in the body of Christ stepped into their true identity and began to live in it. What that would do for the water level in this country, for the goodness being released in this country, how it would turn around this whole country by the body of Christ becoming that which it was intended to be. Paul didn't care whether he lived or died as long as Christ was preached and him crucified. There needs to be a careless abandon to God that will bring us into that place of absolute surrender to his will and purposes for our lives. That his kingdom may come in and through us and we rise up to inhabit that place individually and corporately that's set aside for us. As, as I've uh, been saying, I'm currently experiencing something I've actually never experienced before, and that is a true sense of corporate identity, as well as individual identity. Um, and I think I'm feeling the love of God for his people. been in many churches, but I've never felt what is happening inside me now, uh, which is totally different, and I think it will result in true unity. It's not just because I like people and get on well with them, it is the people that I don't particularly like uh, that God is giving me a love for and therefore there is a unity in the spirit. And that is what unity in the spirit is all about. It's not actually just sticking to the ones that you get on well with, which is what happens so often. You get the cliques in the church. It's because it's n never actually moved from that sludgy puddle into lemon zest. It's never moved from the flesh to the spirit. So while it's in the flesh you will get divisions and arguments and cliques and splits and opinions and uh, it's the devil's playground really, isn't it? So I could be glimpsing what God wants for his church in these days. A company of people totally committed to each other's welfare and growth without concern for themselves just that everyone should reach their full potential in Christ. And as I said this morning, that is accountability in action. 
when I say to you, you can't do that because you're this, I'm calling up the treasure in you. I'm speaking to the Christ in you and causing you to grow into his likeness. And I'm pulling you out of carnality and into the spirit. That is what true pastoral care would be about. We'll be seeing your treasure, seeing the position that you occupy before God and calling you to actually live in that place. So this isn't just another weekend. It could turn out to be a milestone, a turning point for us as we get to grips with who we are and whose we are and how he sees us and his eternal purposes, his dream for our lives in the here and now. We know what our ultimate destiny is, is to be the eternal companion of an incredible king. And the training and the living of that starts now. We have to begin to get a mindset that takes eternity into account and into consideration. Because we're so locked into living the now that we do not see that actually what we're preparing for is eternity. We're like Esther being prepared with all the oils and the baths and the ashes milk for six months before we go in to see the king. We are in a place of preparation. And if you've got prophecies over your life, that is God's dream for you. That's why I'm so keen right now to get us prophesying over each other so we can find out what's God's dream for each one of us, write it down and then say, hey, look, this is how God sees me and make ourselves accountable to each other so that whatever God's dream for Trish's and Elaine is when I see that they're not actually walking in that dream I have to say to them hey you know you're worth worthy of much more than that don't go there that's an easy way to be conformed into the image of Christ because I'm saying to you don't don't do that you're this I'm holding out to you something so much more glorious that the choice would not be difficult. Not, not a rocket science thing. So make this the weekend that you determine to get those prophecies out if you've got them and make decisions to come into alignment with him so that you can see them fulfilled. Ask him what you need to let go of. A lot of us are holding on to things that we didn't need to be holding on to enemy's happy as Larry, we need to let go of it so that we can come into alignment with what it is he has got planned for us. So we need to be studying. What do I need to be studying? What am I supposed to be looking at? Get into alignment with his plan for you. Give him what he asks. No price is too great to see that dream come true. Don't be like the rich young ruler who went away sorrowing. Pay the man, give him what he wants. It's all his anyway, it's only on loan to you. We're on a journey of revelation, living on the edge, knowing the love of God which is beyond understanding and that's a contradiction for a start because that which cannot be known or understood, we know. It's a mystery. And such knowledge only comes through revelation. It doesn't come through acquiring head knowledge. But there's an unfolding going on, a quickening spirit abroad in the earth. As we heard last weekend, or the, whenever it was, that, that he's re releasing this quickening spirit. If you say yes to it, it's yours. And then hold on. 
We can be like someone who's legally an heir to a vast fortune, but we sell off our entire inheritance for something of incomparably less value. It's called trading our inheritance. Adam did it, and the result was the fall. Esau did it. He sold his inheritance for a mess of pottage. The prodigal son did it for a night of sex, a few drunken parties and friends who left him when the money ran out. And finally, realising that he needed to go home to the father, he turns round and goes home. He never knew who he was and what he was an heir to until it was nearly too late. And the brother at home never did realise his worth in father's eyes and was jealous of his younger brother because he thought the father loved him more and was letting him get away with everything. His problem was that he didn't know who he was either. Our basic problem as human beings, redeemed or unredeemed, is that we do not understand our own value. We cannot grasp the enormity of the price that Jesus paid for us. If we could, we would recognise our own worth and that of everyone else. Honour, respect and dignity are all tied in with identity, inheritance and destiny. But we may value ourselves a little higher. Perhaps we're clever and seek some prestigious position in the world because of what we can achieve. Maybe we're accomplished musicians and get our identity from that. But for all the world's applause and approbation, it doesn't compare with the value of our inheritance. We can exchange our identity, destiny and purpose, which is our inheritance, for the world's recognition. Beloved, that is prostitution. And there's an old hymn, and I can't remember, and Carol will know it. We blossom and flourish like leaves on a tree, then wither and perish, but naught changeth thee. Is it almighty, invisible, mm. God, and mm. or immortal, immortal invisible? Immortal. Yeah, so we blossom and flourish like leaves on a tree and wither and perish. So the uncomfortable and unpalatable truth is that we're often just the same in the church as the world is. We actually value function and gift and ability above identity. We look at people for how they can fulfil our vision or our dream instead of looking at how we can fulfil their dream and their vision. So I release you today to dream in God. Ask him to show you his dream for your life and prepare to be astonished, astounded and marvel as they all did when they saw Jesus. They were astonished. They were astounded. They marvelled. My identity is not in what I do. It's in who and I am and whose I am. And God wants to restore us to our who and not our do. He wants us to understand the transaction that took place when we received his life from above and live there. So we need to know how it should have been so we can see how it will be and to do this we need to go back to the beginning to see the glory that we lost at the fall.
I had a prophecy I found in the course of this. It's upstairs, and I could not remember who gave it to me. I didn't recognise the writing or anything, and then this morning I remembered it. And he said, I see a television screen and the, the little wiggly line sort of just dying out. And God is saying, change of programme. And that was when the Lord was really speaking about changing completely from the healing ministry into teaching but he said God is not calling you to teach he's calling you to follow him and out of that will come whatever he wants you to do it's a very interesting prophecy as I said I've, I read it and I read it again this morning and I thought I didn't understand it at the time he brought it and I didn't think it was for me I thought you got the wrong one um, but when I saw that I thought this is this is that and he said that the road that God was going to take me was a road not very much travelled and that the enemy sowed seeds behind where I walked very quickly so that other people couldn't follow but there was a firm path underneath it even though it looked so where I was going he'd done the same thing with anyone else who'd gone before so though it didn't look very clear there was a solid straight path with pools and streams and revelation and all that there and I thought this is I'll go and get it in a minute it's absolutely so right that was absolutely the case um, someone said to me to me once who, who are you if you're not Stephen's mother and she said, if all that was taken away, who would you be? And I got quite tetchy, because <laughs> of course I couldn't think who I would be. But what she was getting at was this. I can remember before I was saved, I was saying, I'm Stephen's mother, I'm Ken's wife, I'm my ma parents' daughter, I'm my boss's secretary, I don't know who I am. <laughs> you know, different things to different, different functions for each different area of your life. Uh, but it's the difference between function and identity. You still staying with us for a minute? Uh, yes. How long have I got you? Um, until well, four o'clock at the latest. Oh, night. brilliant. That's it. We'll be through this by then. Okay. Right. Okay, then you can pop me on again. When I'm doing this on my own, I make a noise somewhere and I haven't yet discovered what I do because <laughs> I'm holding that in one hand and I'm speaking into that. And it may be that as I turn, uh, that I'm moving the lead because it goes. <laughs> <laughs> June says to me, what do you do with that? <laughs> and sometimes it's worse than others. <laughs> Ever so it's not the shuffling of your papers, is it? I don't think so, because I, I, I even thought about putting it up? it up on the screen and reading it from there, you know. Yeah. Rather than holding that in your hand. I'm so as I can stop it and give tracks. Because oh. if I don't oh. stop it, it's one long track and it doesn't give people a chance. You like to have a bit of a breather, you know. So you don't move it in your hand? No, no, it's just sitting there. Oh, it's recording. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> how, how far did we go back? Just back to that track, is it?
Play the last bit that you've got and then you'll know. Yeah, we called over. Right, so Imogen Lightness, The Lost Glory, I had a lovely time with this. Adam's mandate was to bear the image and the likeness of the living God. He was a man of dust, formed from the dust of the ground, who had fellowship with the eternal God. He was at once both earthly and heavenly. He lived in two realities. Genesis 1.26 says that, he, that... Let's have a look at it. And God said, let us, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image, after our likeness, two things, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame beasts, and over all the earth, and over everything that creeps upon the earth. And 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image and likeness of God he created him, male and female he created them. Genesis 1.26 Image and likeness, we too bear both. We are part of God's creation, made from the same dust, the same substance of the earth around us. And we are of the earth and in the earth, but we also carry the divine DNA. Genetically, we have the divine seed. What marked Adam out from the rest of creation was the breath of God breathed into Adam's nostrils by a direct impartation from God himself. Formed from the clay beneath, his life came from God above. Image and likeness, earthly and heavenly, two realities. Prior to this magnificent moment, God had moulded with utmost care, love and precision the dust of the ground into the form of a man. Do you think he spat on the clay to make it all nice and the dust to make it clay and mouldable in the same way that Jesus did with the blind man spat on the mud and made it mud and then applied it to his eyes picture the scene if you will I always see Adam standing bolt upright the most perfect piece of sculpture ever fashioned more perfect and beautiful than anything ever produced by Michelangelo but lifeless no sight in those eyes, no breath in that body, just a perfect form made with utmost care and precision. Job tells us that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. That's Job 38, 7. The whole creation was watching and waiting to see what's going to happen as the Creator leans forward, puts his hand on the back of Adam's head, steadies himself, places the divine lips against Adam's nose and mouth and breathes the divine life explosively into Adam's lifeless form. The word in Hebrew is vipah. It's explosive. Pronounced vipah. 
and it's spelt Y-I-P-A-K-H. This breath, the Ruach of God, that's the Hebrew word for breath, transforms the lifeless clay. The angels burst into song and shout for joy as man steps onto the stage of creation. Immediately, Adam becomes a living soul, with every organ of his body functioning perfectly, with all the marvellous spiritual, intellectual and emotional responses in place. His eyes snap open and Adam breathes first in, then out, looking straight into the eyes of the one who's just created him and given him that most precious of gifts, life. Can you imagine the tender intensity of that moment? Creator and created, standing face to face, eye to eye, love incarnate, love personified, staring at Adam who has been created for a purpose. To spend eternity in fellowship with his creator in perfect love and harmony, born of the will of God, by the Godhead's predetermined purpose. And he's given a task. Subdue the earth and have dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Man alone, among all the living creatures of the world, was equipped both for fellowship with the Creator and handed a mandate for the earth. And Adam, he knew who he was, the pinnacle of creation. He knew who created him, and he looked back at the Creator, mirroring the love he saw in the Creator's eyes. He was clothed with his glory, an earthly, heavenly man. He didn't have any identity crisis. He knew who he was and whose he was. He had security, significance and self-worth. He knew whose he was and who he was and what he was. He didn't confuse his function with his identity. He's completely secure. And God gave him a mandate. Be fruitful, multiply and subdue the earth. Have dominion, Adam. We know the rest. The greatest tragedy of human history follows. Tricked by Satan, Adam and Eve trade their God-given inheritance for a piece of fruit from the forbidden tree. The tree of self-will, self-determination, the tree of self-rule, the tree of self-centeredness. Their centre on God was instantly lost. Their glory had become their shame and they fell from grace. Made in the image and likeness of his creator, this disobedience affected every part of Adam's triune nature. His spirit was cut off from God, it effectively died. His soul, mind, emotions and will became rebellious and at war with God. His body became subject to sickness, ageing and ultimately death. In dying spiritually, physical death became his portion and subsequently the portion of every living soul. When Adam sinned, he lost the ability to portray the identity and image of God. 
He who was created to be a glory carrier, the very expression of the life and likeness of God in the earth, became separated from God and became living dust. And the whole creation experienced corruption as God cursed first the serpent, then the woman, then Adam, and finally the earth itself. The one transforming and redeeming feature of the fall is that it revealed beyond question the nature of God, which would otherwise have never been fully revealed. The unfathomable depth of his love for his creation. He's never given up on Adam and his descendants. He longs to bring us back both to image and likeness, the earthly and the heavenly reflecting the glory of the Creator. So Adam carried the God life within him. He was animated by the very breath of God. He carried the image and likeness of God in the dust of the earth from which he was formed. Adam as created spanned the two realities, touching heaven, touching earth. When the man of dust, Adam, sinned and separated himself from God, the glory departed from him and from creation. The whole of creation of which he was a part suffered from his fall. The glory was lost. Remember, he was made from the dust of the earth. So as he fell, the dust fell as well around him. So we're inherently part of the creation around us. We're not other than we were created from the dust and that's what we return to, God says so. We are of the same substance chemically as the trees and the birds, but man is the only part of creation in which God invested himself. The only part created to contain and carry his glory. Everything we see around us is a manifestation and expression of his handiwork. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The creation shows and displays his glory but only the man of dust could contain his glory. Adam was created to be a glory carrier and we as the redeemed of the Lord once again carry that glory. In redeeming and filling us with his Holy Spirit God has started the process of restoration in the earth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 5 we have this treasure where in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power might be of God. I'm a manifestation of the glory of God and so are you. The only part of creation that can contain the presence of heaven, the image and glory of God, is the man of dust. We live in two realities. Romans 8.19 shows us God's intention. For the whole creation groans in eager expectation, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. This tells us that the whole creation out there is waiting for the restoration of the image and glory of God in the man of dust. It's waiting for those who are fully mature, the huios of God, the fully mature sons, 
to be manifested, fully shown forth in the earth. Just suppose there are carrots and onions out there just waiting to be manifested. Carrots as long as your arm and onions like pumpkins. Graham Cook says, just suppose there's a body of water out there just waiting to be walked on. We have no idea what the fall has done to this physical earth. No wonder it groans, waiting to fulfil its destiny, to bring forth fruit as it was created to. Do you remember when the children of Israel originally sent the spies into the land, it took two men to carry a bunch of grapes? What was all that about? If they'd been mature enough, they'd have gone into the promised land then and they would have seen the glory of God because the earth was groaning to bring forth its produce. Because we're the only part of creation that can carry the glory of God, the restoration has to start with us being conformed once again to his image. Does that make you feel different about yourself and your role in the earth? God's intention is that you should be restored to his original blueprint for mankind and show forth his glory. God's intention is that you should come to fullness in him and become a fully mature son, carrying his glory and his authority. God's intention is that you should be an agent for good in the earth because we overcome evil with good inheritance and glory. <laughs>